Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. For more information, visit Corin.com. This week on Meet and Three, I'm about to go on maternity leave. This is Katie Mosman Wadler, and before I leave you in the incredibly capable hands of Team HRN, We are rounding out season five with a deep dive into the food rules, weird cravings, and overall hype about eating while pregnant. There are a lot of safe foods to eat, and we shouldn't be sort of assuming that just because something is raw that it's dangerous. I just found myself feeling like there was an alien piloting my body and brain and uh, totally changed the way that I ate. So was it the eggplant? Sure. Why not? I just don't know. Tune in to this week's episode of Meet and 3 anywhere you listen to podcasts. I'll be back soon with our newest and tiniest producer in tow. Welcome to Japan Needs. I'm your host, Akiko Tema, a food writer and the director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes a deeper understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. We are broadcasting live from a studio at Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every daily supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear dashi, ramen, izakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is still a mystery for many people. So I try to demystify it in this program with my good guests. And my, uh, our first guest of 2020 is Elizabeth Sando, who already joined us seven times on episodes 18, 61, 83, 99, 108, 131, <laughs> and 156. So you're super regular. And, um, and she shared uh, her truly deep insight into traditional Japanese food culture. And Elizabeth is a food writer and Japanese cooking instructor based in Tokyo, and she has lived in Japan for over 50 years. And she runs a culinary art program called A Taste of Culture, which offers a great opportunity for non-Japanese people to explore Japanese culture through its food. And Elizabeth is also the author of six cookbooks, including the award-winning Washoku recipes from the Japanese kitchen and kibo, recipes and uh, stories from Japan's tohoku and kansha, celebrating Japan's vegan and vegetarian traditions. And today's topic is Japanese kitchen tools. And many unique kitchen utensils have been invented in the long history, history of Japan. And Elizabeth will introduce us to various kitchen tools and gadgets that make your time in the kitchen more fun and efficient, even if you cook only non-Japanese dishes. But brief, uh, before we start, Japan Needs is uh, available on Heritage Radio Network website, as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. So please go to iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify, and subscribe to Japan Needs. So, um, and I have a quick announcement. And uh, so... I wrote a book about Japanese food, uh, which just came out on December 20th. And so, uh, it's called A Complete Guide to Japanese Cuisine. And the Japanese title is There are two titles because it's written in both English and Japanese side by side. And the book is kind of mini encyclopedia of Japanese food. And it covers 90 dishes, sweets, and beverages with fun facts, along with the foundational philosophy and the history of Japanese cuisine. And you can bring the book with you on your trip to Japan, of course, or to your favorite Japanese restaurant as a guidebook. And if you work at a Japanese restaurant, it can be your go-to reference. Also, if you grew up in Japan, the book is useful to explain the basics of Japanese food accurately, which is very hard, um, to non-Japanese people. Or if you, it can be a fun textbook for both English and Japanese language learners. It is available in bookstores in Japan everywhere and on Amazon Japan, which is amazon.co.jp. And you can order it from uh, Japanese bookstores such as Kinokuniya if you out, live outside Japan as well. Again, the title is A Complete Guide to Japanese Cuisine and in Japanese, Eigo de Gaido. I hope you'll enjoy reading it.
Thank you. So let's start a conversation with Elizabeth <laughs> Andal. Okay. Well, I want to read the book first, but <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, Thank you for inviting me back again. Uh, when we sort of tossed around a number of different topics we might talk about, um, tools immediately came to my mind. Mm. Because everybody in the kitchen has to perform certain tasks. Sometimes they really are in a hurry to perform them. Other times they want to make sure that it's the best possible way to do something. And everyone knows about knives and about nabe, different kinds of pots and pans. Mm -hmm. But not a whole lot of attention is given to all the little gadgets mm. that really make a difference between being able to get a meal on the table or not. Um, yeah. And they are really visually beautiful too, as such yes. traditional you know, natural tools. There, too. there are many traditional tools, many made of natural materials, and then there are very creative adaptions uh, of those things. Uh, maybe we can start with like skemono and, and making pickles. Yeah. Sure. Uh, so uh, mm. for listeners, uh, so uh, Elizabeth eh. gave me a list of unique Japanese tools, <laughs> which is amazing. I can't wait to hear all about them. And so uh, probably you can buy everything, even if you're outside Japan, by so. online. And I, I checked, like okay. uh, we are in New York, but right. um, I believe there's so many, you know, online Japanese food or... It's really um, such a world of difference from even 10 years ago, the availability mm. of um, foodstuffs and also equipment. Right. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so, by the way, if you, listeners, if you plan to go to Japan, I would suggest go to uh, places like Kappabashi in Tokyo. Yes. And Kappabashi is uh, like a heaven for cooks. Yes. And just, they have every, everything. Yeah. Decide upon a budget before you go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because otherwise you'd be in trouble. And there are a couple of other places as well that have just an array of kitchen gadgets. Right. But yeah. also, uh, you know, like local towns and cities, yes. they have definitely specialized shops, which is very reasonably priced. Always. Always. It's a, it's a great temptation. Um, so really, you have to sort of stay focused on... But focus, but also open to new ideas when you see right. things in the store. Yeah, and it's just fun to see, even if you don't cook. If you're right. right? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, but let's talk about tasks in the kitchen and okay. how different tools were developed to perform those tasks in the context of Japanese cuisine. Okay. There were sort of two sets of circumstances that have almost always existed in Japan. It, not unique to Japan. There are other food cultures. Um, one is needing to conserve fuel. There's relatively little fuel available for cooking in, in, in Japan and wanting to use it most efficiently. Mm. And the other is space. Very little space. <laughs> um, I know that you know people here in New York who have small apartment kitchens complain, they're bigger than most Japanese home right. kitchens mm -hmm. in Tokyo, certainly. Right. Um, the average is a single burner, maybe a double. Uh, I have three, which is considered sort of just amazing. Mm. Um, the average in, in New York is four, is it not? Yeah, um, I feel like I'm a rich person. Well, well, but it, just, it really changes your approach to putting a meal on the table. Mm. And uh, it forces you to multitask to do many things at one time. You've got little space in which to move, so s several things have to, have to happen at the same time. Um, but it also um, urges you to come up with the cleverest, most effective way of performing any given task. Mm -hmm. And one of the food categories in, in Japan that has deep history and is currently um, still part of almost every meal are tsukemono or or pickles. Mm. And some of them are very um, time-consuming and require um, months, if not years, to maturity. But there are a whole bunch of what I call impatient pickles, mm. um, the quick pickles that can be made <laughs> in maybe 10 minutes, maybe two hours. Um, and in order to encourage the fermentation or the beginning of fermentation, the change in the vegetable, primarily in vegetables, you need to apply pressure and mm. weight. And I don't know how many other food cultures have to come up with weights that mm. work in the kitchen. Right. So the weights basically breaks down the structure. 
right. and the, the cells of whatever the vegetables are, and then make it easier to ferment, like the bacteria easier. Right. To so typically, it's either a brine that has primarily salt, mm-hmm. or maybe a koji, shio koji, that's that's there. And until the fibers of, let's say, a haksai cabbage or a cucumber, are um, somewhat smashed or or broken or bruised, Mm. there's no room for those flavors to get in there and start working. Mm. So um, most skemono are best made in large quantity in huge tubs Mm -hmm. with stones on top of them, but that's not quite practical for an urban kitchen. I don't want to carry each (laughs) time. No, nobody wants to do that. Although you can still in almost every home where store in Japan find one kilo, five kilo, and ten kilo weights that Mm -hmm. are for sale. They're no longer stones, but they're actually weights um, that people will use if they're making a lot. But a very clever um, gadget, an instrument, was developed um, called a tsukemono key. It's a shoktaku tsukemono key, meaning you can put it on the table. It'll also fit in the refrigerator. Um, I've usually referred to as a pickle press. Mm -hmm. It looks somewhat like a press, and depending upon which gadget you buy, it's got a screw top uh, that you can adjust the amount of weight. Mm. Um, The idea is to massage, if you will, or or have salt or or koji is the most common, uh, interact with the vegetable, and then put pressure on top of it Mm. and wait until the liquid rises. Because uh, when something starts fermenting, it produces CO2, so it gets bubbly, and then... Uh, to avoid bacterial contamination, you have to put the vegetable, keep it submerged, right. so the weight and the pressure works to keep yes. it clean. And yes, and it, and it needed to be clean, which is why stones are more challenging. Right. Um, <laughs> and this little gadget, it can be as small as something you hold in your hand, something as long as perhaps, um, I'm bad on inches nowadays, what's this, about six or seven inches long? Yeah. Um, that uh, it's, it's about 15 centimeters is the average size of the the machine, that, the gadget that you're going to be able to buy here um, in the States. Um, and it works very, very well. Mm. Um, within 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Wow. Uh, or if you, in the morning before you leave for work, wow. you sort of put together a little something, you come back and you've got a mm. wonderful... You know, right, it's not too expensive either. No, right. it, it really isn't. Um, for those who... Um, they come only in plastic, and the plastic doesn't survive a whole long time when it comes to the corrosive action of things like salt and, and koji. Mm. So what I do is I put them in a, um, a resealable plastic bag, mm-hmm. And massage them in that. Put them in the bag in the in the actual uh, box, right. and then screw on the top on mm. top. So to that way it. you can uh, maintain outside plastic longer. It will last longer. Um, I do it almost every day, or at least certainly four or five times a week. Mm. And um, I'm still using the same machine I did about three years ago. Great. Yeah, I think uh, globally people started to ferment things. Yes. And pickles are really popular now. They are. And here you can control it because you can see it. You can change the amount of pressure by screwing it tighter or Mm. looser. Um, If necessary, you can pour off some of the extra liquid. So it's very easy to manage Mm. in one of these little gadgets. And that was not true when you had a huge tub with 10 kilo of... I am convinced. I I look for it today. I go home and it's a search. Yeah, like a mutual trading. Some of those other, you know, calling those places uh, actually sell online and I found them many things. So Right. All right. So... So what's next? That's, uh, I think, oroshiki was right. one of the interesting things. Well, um, lots of cuisines. Uh, great. Mm-hmm. And there are different kinds of abrasive surfaces that things get grated against. Mm-hmm. The classic in Japan looks almost like a bunch of metal thorns. Right. And uh, it has a little well at the bottom Mm-hmm. and can be used for things like ginger or daikon, a small piece of daikon. Um, but that's that's a classic sort of all-purpose. Right, so but that's called, uh, orosu means great, so right. oroshi gane. Gane right. is like a metal. Is the metal part, right. right. Um, and two 
problems, if you will, with that. One is metal often interacts with certain vegetables mm -hmm. or certain condiments and adds uh, a less than wonderful uh, flavor to it. Um, and so, indeed, ceramic ones were created because they don't transfer flavors mm. and they also don't stain the way that sometimes um, uh, the metal ones uh, will. Uh, and different um, shapes. So either you're holding it upright and mm. going up and down. Um, some of the ceramic ones actually look like a dish right. and you're taking the daikon or the ginger and you're drawing circles right. uh, uh, with it. Um, there's uh, several different dishes in which daikon is best not finely grated, but very coarsely grated, mm. almost like chunks. And for that, there's something called an oni oroshi. Okay. And an oni is a monster, and it looks somewhat like a monster, <laughs> if you will. It looks actually like, um, I don't know that anyone who's listening remembers actually seeing one of these washboards for doing laundry mm. um, made out of wood, and you would um, rub clothes up against it in order to get... Um, uh, release dirt and to get spots out, but it's a very rough textured. Um, it's, it's it stands on an angle, and you take the daikon in one hand and the oroshi, mm. oni oroshi in the other, and you actually just rub it up against it, right. and shards okay. of daikon come wow. out. It's particularly wonderful on soba, mm. on cold soba, um, and then you would just add maybe a bit of the usual. Um, kind of soba sauce that's right. used, the flavored um, uh, soy sauce with it. Um, it's also wonderful in a kind of nabe. Mm. Um, sometimes it's called yuki nabe, where you, uh, snow in, in, in there, and you would do two different kinds of oroshi daikon, mm. one that's very fine that looks almost like slush, right. and the other these huge chunks and chards, mm. and the difference in texture makes a wonderful right. contrast when you're eating it. And also the level of uh, spiciness, too, yes. depends on... Very much so, very much so. And with the large oni oroshi, you're able to use almost the whole daikon at one time. So you're getting all of the flavors from the tip to the neck mm. at the same time, rather than just a piece of the daikon at any one time right. uh, for that. So it's oni oroshi, O-N-I-O-R-O-S-H-I. -I. Okay, right. right. And uh, let's talk about shark skin. Yes, also <laughs> same. Um, I don't know whoever first thought to take a wasabi root and rub it up against a shark's mm. <laughs> skin, but it obviously was a great idea um, because it preserves the aroma and the fire of the wasabi without all of the um, uh, nasty sort of fiber that mm. sometimes uh, gets left behind and also wasabi, a fresh wasabi root on a metal grater is, is not a wonderful mm. taste combination. It really does begin to um, go off and right. go very, very bitter. Um, but I don't know who thought of it. Um, I read something I forgot. That was like, a, it was not the main intention to make something probably wasabi. Not. It's like a reused force from something else. It, it could be. Um, uh, shark skin is used or has been used in Japan for a number of things as a non-slip surface. Mm. In the old samurai, in their um, swords, when they pull them out so that right. their hands don't slip even oh. if they're... Yeah, that's important. <laughs> yeah, it's very important, especially if they're sweaty and sort of nervous and the fact that it would not uh, slip. But on several surfaces um, in Japan from a long time ago, um, mm. same... Nokawa has been has been used. Interesting. Yeah. So I, I looked up and then the so wasabi needs to be finely ground to produce uh, the spiciness that the unique spiciness, right. and the fine surface of shark skin uh, is ideal for that because um, it's that kind of like a fine, you know, dots yes. on the surface right. aerates wasabi, which makes the texture creamier and oh. the flavor sweeter. It's incredible. It yeah. really, it, the, the difference is night and day. If you're going to spend the money and the time to source a fresh mm -hmm. wasabi, absolutely, right. you need one of these graters. Right. You don't want to grate it on anything but... Mm. Yep, but I, I can't agree it, more. Yeah. yeah, and it's not too expensive either. Um, no, it, it, 
it isn't, and they come in various sizes, and I would encourage the larger size. Sometimes people will say, oh, well, I'm only using it once in a while, I'll buy the smaller one. The larger one allows you to make circling motions as mm. you're grading it. It gives you more space. Right. And, and more aeration, I guess. More aeration and really creamy, sweet, delicious with fire. Mm. Yeah, wonderful. I wonder how you can apply other kind of, you know, flavoring stuff, like ginger, I don't know, garlic. I have tried ginger on it. Uh, garlic works well. Mm. Um, so do shallots, oh. which normally defy grating well. In other words, it usually falls apart. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, what else have I tried with it? Uh, nutmeg, huh. which is entirely different. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and you need something to help... Um, you need a brush to help get it off afterwards, mm-hmm. but it's quite extraordinary. There's nothing quite like that texture. Um, I think when they made the first made the ceramic graders, they were intending to mimic that huh. wow. with the ceramics, but um, it is different. Interesting. Yeah. So and it looks cool. Like usually yes. it's a wooden back and right. then white, beautiful shark skin. Yeah, it's cuckly. Right. <laughs> All right, so, so next one is uh, suribachi and surikogi. All sorts of food cultures mash in a mortar with a pestle. Um, the suribachi is the mortar and the surikogi is the pestle. Mm. What's different about the Japanese is that it has texture and that the traditional ones were ceramic. They were earthenware. Mm. Um, so the earthenware is both good and has challenges, um, meaning that it will stain and it will also absorb odor. Mm. And um, I have a dedicated suribachi for just sesame. Oh, okay. Because it's really almost impossible to get the oils in the sesame also really begin to permeate the, the bowl. Mm. And it's almost impossible to get uh, rid of that aroma. If you want that nutty, wonderful aroma, it's terrific to do other things in there, but otherwise um, not. And with the advent of food processors, and the Japanese really took to the mini food processors quite quickly. Mm. Uh, I'm going to say about 20 years ago, maybe? Um, because before that, in order to make the equivalent of a pate or that texture mm-hmm. in a suribachi took hours. <laughs> like a <laughs> whipping great cream. Great determination. <laughs> great determination. As a matter of fact, one of the dishes in uh, shoujin ryori, and uh, shoujin really means earnest effort. It's also vegetarian or vegan, mm. but means earnest effort. And one of the um, <laughs> things that demonstrated earnest effort was making goma dofu. Right. <laughs> and it takes about two, two and a half hours. Mm. Nobody would have upper arm flab uh, if right. they did it regularly. Shoujin yeah. um, <laughs> means a spiritual training. It, it <laughs> really is. And, and making this in the suribachi is, is spiritual. It's also sort of uh, fun, I think, in the modern kitchen because somebody typically needs to hold the bowl and somebody else is, is doing the grinding. Yeah. Um, in the old days, I, I can remember the, the first kitchen in which I did anything with the suribachi was the old kitchen in Shikoku. And there was a hashira, a, a pillar, mm-hmm. um, that I would angle the bowl up against oh. and then kneel so that it was between my knees <laughs> and I didn't need somebody else to uh, hold it for me. But it's always nice to have mm. and to switch off back right. and forth. And again, the suribachi, well, basically it's a ceramic, but the inside it's like a, a kind of combed texture, yes. like fine comb texture. Right. And it's kind of also spirals in it. So it's so a So it goes in different directions, which, right. which means that you get much more power. Again, this notion that you have, um, uh, you're wanting to make the tools the most effective, efficient mm-hmm. possible. Uh, Trying to grind something against a smooth surface, it takes a whole lot more mm. time and energy, and it's not going to become as smooth right. uh, as if you had this. Um, it's almost like a, if you look at it like a serrated knife, but it's on a flat surface. Right. Yes, it does look like combs at odd angles to mm-hmm. each other. Yeah, I I don't know who invited invented the pattern, but it's like a jagged uh, groups like 
amazing. Well, we, when you're making pottery, there's a stage at which um, I, I think it's referred to as leather hard, mm-hmm. um, where you can still make an indent in it, but it won't change shape. Mm-hmm. And that's when indeed the suribachi, and there is a comb that's used, a kushi, that's right. used to make it. If you see people making suribachi, mm. and then they fire it oh, okay. um, so that it stays that way. Right, and uh, the uh, surikogi that's uh, uh, that's the, wooden. The pestle, pestle right. is wooden to protect the ceramics. So, and the classic traditional was actually uh, a branch from the um, sancho, the pepper plant mm. tree. Right, and ever so slightly, you might get. A spicy aroma mm. when you first started it. Um, the surikogi that I have um, 50 years later wow. is probably about two inches shorter. So mm. at some point, wow. <laughs> it does, I guess it does get used up. Um, but 50 years, still two inches. So but it's, <laughs> it, it, it's, still, it's still usable. Um, mm. And uh, there's, again, there's nothing quite like a suribachi, the texture Mm. that you would get. And for something like sesame, you can control between semi-cracked, fully cracked, Mm -hmm. mashed, a little bit of oil coming out so it gets creamy, Mm -hmm. to really making the equivalent of tahini. Um, And that's what the shojin is all about, making the equivalent of tahini. Mm. Actually, the, the size can be from very small to medium to and then I, I don't like food processor because I have to clean up later right. but for quick sesame yeah. something very you know small one works right. very well like indeed it, it, the food processor is better for things like meat and fish and certain very fibrous vegetables um, but otherwise the suribachi I find is um, it's also easier it's interesting that there are a special little brushes mm-hmm. that come to get the uh, ground sesame out of the mm. grooves that are in there. Um, and they're the same as regular brooms, um, uh, hoki, that are used to sweep the floor, but they're very little, and they're used to sweep out the inside of right. a, a sooty budget. <laughs> That's one of the cute. Yeah, <laughs> they're very cute. Right. Okay, and uh, so, next, oh, but by the way, sooty it's uh, S-U-R-I-B-A-C-H-I, and um, the sooty kogi, that's the... You know, pestle, that's the S-U-R-I-K-O-G-I. Because suru means to grind. Right. Yeah. So, okay. So the next one is otoshibuta. I think it's really cool. Yes. Um, I often, when I'm giving a slide lecture, will show a slide um, that comes from a uh, 16th century kitchen. And there are they're using otoshibuta, mm-hmm. and it wasn't new then. <laughs> wow. So it's got long, deep history in terms of actually being used. And what's interesting about an otoshibuta, and that's what the, the name means, otosu means to drop into, and futa or buta is a lid, it doesn't sit on the rim of a pot the way most lids do, but it sits on the food instead. Mm. And because it sits on the food, you can simmer with very little liquid. It doesn't dry out. And the space between, um, usually, again, in centimeters, it's, it's easier. The lids come usually in 14, 15, 16, 18, 20, and 22 size, mm. centimeter size right. lids. And they're intended to be used with uh, skillets or pots that are about two centimeters larger. Mm. So that in effect, you have about one centimeter, which is about a half an inch, maybe, mm-hmm. around, uh, and a parameter around. So there's enough room for evaporation to take place. Mm. You can intensify the simmering liquid. Right. Um, so it doesn't uh, go break into a volume bo- uh, boil. No. And also... Because it's evenly always covering the surface. And as the liquid begins to sort of bubble, it hits the lid and gets forced back down. Mm. So if you've got something like a whole fish, which you don't want to have to flip back and forth because <laughs> it's going to fall back, you don't have to because it's going to get evenly mm. cooked. Um, right. it, it's almost a circular motion as it gets 
reintroduced um, right. to it. So the heat distribution as well as the flavor distribution because right. it's always consistent. And they're made of wood. The traditional ones are made of wood. And because they're made of wood, and they're flat on the bottom, so they sit directly on top of the food. And because they're made of wood, they don't stick. Mm. They don't get hot. Right. Um, the other advantage of using um, the wooden lids is uh, aku, or all that scum or froth that sometimes develops, comes right on top of the lid. There's a, a handle, a, a piece down the center. Um, I've just updated my my website, mm -hmm. and there's uh, a new post about otoshibuta, so okay. everybody should go take a look at that. And, and you have pictures. recipes. Right, yeah. and I've got recipes there as well. Um, but there's a handle in the center, and all of that gook sticks to the handle, so when you lift it up, you don't have to skim the liquid. Mm. How genius is it that? It really is. It, it, it's <laughs> completely genius, and um, lots of people who have cooked with otoshibuta in a Japanese kitchen, then apply that to all sorts of other um, right. cuisines that they're that they're making. Yeah. Um, the other genius thing that an otoshibuta can do is act almost as a press to sear something. So if you're when you're simmering in liquid, it's terrific because it it helps the flavors and the color um, to circulate and to intensify and not dry out. Mm. But when you're doing something in a dry skillet. Um, let's say you're cooking fish, and when you flip it over, the muscles in the back of the fish tighten up, and that's what makes it curl, right. and you want to keep it flat. Mm, wow. So you put the otoshibuta on top just as you're turning it and hold it down for a few seconds just to make sure that the skin will have complete contact right. with, the, um, with the skillet. And um, I think on the website I did one with mushrooms, um, also, there's a way of searing with mushrooms that, that works very well with an otoshibuta. Mm, right, so. just a little wooden lid, but it does multiple things. It really does. <laughs> it's one of those wonderful... And my otoshibuta are... I have a collection, and um, the newest is about 10 years old. Mm. But the oldest uh, was given to me by my mother-in-law. Wow. So long before I even came to Japan. Right. <laughs> and it's not too expensive either, again. No. Right. Um, yeah. So... So it's otoshibuta, O-T-O-S-H-I-B-U-T-A, otoshibuta. Right. Okay, so uh, let's take a quick break here, and when we come back, we'll discuss more Japanese kitchen tools, including amazing gadgets to make uh, elaborate Japanese bento boxes. So please stay with us. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese ship knives and restaurant supplies. Corin is proud of their Japanese culture and traditions, but they want you to know that their products are not just for Japanese restaurants. Their knives and tableware bring out the best qualities of food from every culture and fit into every restaurant, from French to Pan-Asian to American, and that is why they are located in New York City, where people from every country in the world come to eat. Corin's Tribeca showroom is home to the most extensive collection of Japanese chef knives in the world, including Japan. Stop by to view the exquisitely designed tableware and the wireless natural sharpening stones. They have a whole range of knife services, from repair and rust removal to reshaping and realigning. Corin is dedicated to this ideal, bringing the highest quality Japanese design to your table so you can experience the unparalleled quality of Japanese craftsmanship in your home or restaurant. For more information, visit corin.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Japan Needs, a broadcast live from a studio in Bushwick, Brooklyn. I'm your host, Kikatema, and my guest today is Elizabeth, Elizabeth Ando, a food writer and cookbook author and Japanese cooking instructor based in Tokyo. So uh, now let's talk about Japanese-style bento boxes, okay. which is becoming popular globally. Really? And uh, especially character bento is a cultural phenomenon, and character bento, or karaben, is a bento box elaborately arranged to feature anime characters or other cute figures such as animals. And and if you Google caravan, it's amazing how much how cute they uh, are. Especially if you go to Instagram or to uh, Pinterest mm -hmm. or any of the others that really feature um, photos. It's, right. it's incredible. And I... I think I heard it's initially it started as like mothers try to make your kids eat lunch, but 
It's well, way beyond that. Way, way, way beyond that <laughs> at, at, at this point. I think it's all about um, a message to your food. Mm. And um, it was a message from mother to child showing caring and, and interest. Um, and uh, several years ago, I'm going blank now on the name of the, the book, there was a book all about... Uh, a high school student whose mother had made her lunches and actually sent messages with each of them. Wow. Um, cut out of, of naughty. So one of the gadgets that you'll find, and I have seen them here in some of the Asian food stores in New York mm. as well, are these um, punch holes mm. for naughty to Aye. make different sort of shapes and especially smiley faces or um, cute little pandas. Mm. Uh, it presumes that you already think of rice as something you can shape and mold. Mm. Uh, you can also keep it plain and flat inside your bento box and then draw pictures on top of it. But many of the um, karabeng mm. are based on some kind of rice that has been molded into a shape, mm -hmm. perhaps uh, Hello Kitty, perhaps... Uh, Pandan, Right. In other words, there are uh, rice molds mm -hmm. that are specifically sold to make them look like these characters right. why don't we get up just only you know the triangle one and are those like genius <laughs> right that's right. not crazy no these these are serious and there are kits that are sold um in japan i thought i saw one or two of them here in new york as well mm. where you're going to get the mold it's typically made out of uh plastic uh alert though you should not put that plastic in the dishwasher mm. um japan home in Japan don't really have dishwashers that have that kind of... It's not the hot water that, that hurts, it's the heating unit that dries oh. them off afterwards and they'll warp. Right. Um, so those should be probably hand-washed. Um, but typically the kits will come with a mold for the rice, a punch stencil for <laughs> nori and or thin egg omelets. Because mm. if you make them paper thin, you can also cut them into all different kinds <laughs> of shapes. That means your mothers have to be able to make thin eggs. Eggs, right, <laughs> right. And um, different kinds of stencils that you put on top and then would, uh, instead of cocoa powder, it would be maybe yukari, which is made out of red uh, uh, shiso. shiso. Um, or aonori, which mm. is uh, green. Um, I'm trying to think of, of other things. Uh, people who have uh, purchased already made um, ochazuke uh, kinds of packets know those different colored flakes and things that can be sprinkled mm. on top. Um, and if you sprinkle them on top of a stencil and you lift the stencil up, you have <laughs> your message, you have your character. Um, so often these kits will have a combination of punches, stencils, mm. uh, and molds right. um, and show you how to create all of these very elaborate right. kawaii <laughs> items, kawaii. right? The really, really cute stuff. Yeah, it's tempting. I I, uh, I feel like buying a, the kit and right. it's make for whatever for no reason. I know lots. I, I know many more grown-ups who do it than, than kids. Um, I think in Japan also it was uh, originally uh, an obvious way, a measurable way to see that the mother was caring for the child. Mm. And especially since the kids would take them to school, the teacher would see it, um, all of the other kids, both good and bad, mm. competitive, very competitive. How <laughs> um, stressful it can be for... Very. And when <laughs> blogging first started... The number of uh, home bento blogs um, got a little out of hand, um, but I think they're still up there. So if you if you if you Google even in in English K Y R, mm -hmm. it, it you'll get some very interesting pictures. Yeah, it's yeah. it's so worth seeing. It's just like a catalog of cute things. <laughs> yes, yes. Right. Okay. So um, let's see. I would like to talk about like saibashi. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. I was not particularly skilled in using chopsticks before going to Japan. 
I don't recall having difficulty learning to use them. What I do remember most was my first visit back to America and getting an olive out of an olive jar mm. with saibashi. Mm. So saibashi basically is a long, long... <laughs> chopsticks. And I'm saying, how did I live without these two long sticks before? I mean, how does anybody live without saibashi? Wow. They're such useful sticks, mm. including one long one if something gets stuck and you have to tap it from a high <laughs> shelf. Um, it's useful. But the notion that you can... Um, Skama, you can you can grab hold of mm-hmm. and pull out, up, around, turn around, and depending upon how your wrist holds the mm-hmm. chopsticks, you've got so many options right. for and manipulating. Even, right, and uh, so like for instance in Japan, usually people have tempura, right. you know, deep frying pot. Right. Which is dangerous and long. The longer, the better. Yeah, <laughs> and then I think if you go to Japanese restaurants right. or not, not, you know, right. Chinese restaurants, people use chopsticks nowadays like very well. Right. So it's not a challenging thing, I think. And it's like if once you have the saibashi, right, it's so much safer and so it's safer. Easy. So so much easier. Scrambled eggs. I I, I couldn't imagine making scrambled eggs right. without. Saibashi. And um, again, the single one gets used um, for lifting if you're making your thin omelets. Mm-hmm. So you can trace around the side of the, of the pan mm-hmm. and then lift the omelet up and flip it over with right. a single chopstick. Um, incredible. Once you, once you try it out, I, I can't imagine anybody turning back. I, I can't agree more. Right. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, I want to also talk about knife sharpener. So Japan is uh, very obsessive mm. about knife, yes. Japanese knife, of course. And sharpener, I happened to get one recommended by professional, like really high-end right. knife producers. And I, I can't wait with it without it because it's easy to sharpen. Right. And... Uh, you is know. it something uh, that you yeah like a flat you know, surface on like which you serious stone rub it, right. like coarse side and the other <coughs> side is finer right um, I also did not uh, ever think about sharpening knives before I went to Japan so I first learned in Japan and I learned on a stone mm. and the stone had two different surfaces depending upon which side you turned up or down um, and. Being able to control the amount of pressure mm. that you exert, um, I got sort of spoiled. And when somebody gave me a, a knife sharpener where you insert the blade and you pull it, I, right. it just felt all mm-hmm. wrong. Um, and it damages the, the knives. I would yeah. think so. I, I also it must admit, I don't know how to use a steel. Mm, I, mean, I, don't, I can't stand the sound, um, so that's like... You know, limits well, also, also the sound is, is, is pretty unpleasant. But um, I don't see how that does what it needs to do, which is to resurface the cutting edge. Mm. And the ability to have control over the angle and the degree of um, uh, sharpness mm-hmm. Is what I like most about a stone. Right. Um, yeah, because like kitchen sharpeners, like you know, plastic, and it looks safe, but it doesn't work for a long time. It's worn right. out. And for I, I was not good at using the stones first, but now it's kind of your body remembers. It does. And your you can use your body. You don't need any heavy, you know. It doesn't power. require a whole lot of strength. No. Right. Um, what I find is very important in my kitchen, especially in Tokyo, is that it's I have something so that it goes up against a wall. It doesn't move. So I have uh, a cutting board that I use, wrap a towel around it, because mm-hmm. it does get a little messy. Uh, you have to wet the stone, mm-hmm. and as you're sharpening it, a lot of the um, sort of brown gray color comes comes off um so i have a dedicated board and a cloth that i wrap around it so that when i lean forward the stone doesn't move right and i can then not 
I don't have to exert a lot of pressure. It's right. very light pressure. I have you know, a very abbreviated version of it. So okay. I have like, you know, the kitchen cloth. Right. I just like wet, wet. kitchen towel. Right. And I put the stone. It never doesn't go anywhere. Well, your counter must be better than the one I have in Tokyo. <laughs> yeah, well, it's just a New York City regular apartment, but that's my uh, right. trick. So far, it's very safe. So Right. Yeah. Um, my surface is, for better or for worse, very smooth. Oh. And it really slips mm. if I don't, uh, right. if I don't do that. a very old right. apartment. So, so every, everybody, you should figure out your own setup. Right. Right. Okay. So now... Um, we would like to discuss um, your new website. You updated <laughs> your website. So you have a right. very, very uh, informative website. So do you want to tell us that? <laughs> okay. I had um, avoided the nuisance of really rethinking my website for several years. And uh, with everybody using different kinds of uh, phones, pads, it had to be responsive, and as long as I had to recreate the website to make it really responsive, I decided to step back and really redesign what I wanted to do. Mm. And what I wanted to do was be able to archive, continually archive, and have people who come to the website access that archive. I couldn't do that with my previous mm. website. Once I had posted something and I replaced it, it was gone for viewers of the website, right. I still had access to it in the back office, but I couldn't mm. make that available well, to other people. Well, in the people. past, um, some uh, the listeners requested right. for, you know, those right. some recipes, but there's no there anymore. So that was right. Now. Uh, but all the old links are now not going to work because it's a new site. Mm -hmm. But what I did was I took um, the information I had about the amount of time that people. Uh, the number of people who, who stopped at any particular page and how long they spent on it and took the top 30, mm. redid them, and post-dated them. So if you go to my website now, you'll see things from uh, June of 2019, three times a month on the 2nd, the 12th, and the 22nd. <laughs> when I first went to Japan, uh, stores did not have a day of the week that mm. they were off. This was in the 60s. They had three days a month. Okay. And sometimes it was 2, 12, 22. Sometimes it was 7, 17, 27. Um, and I decided which set do I want to go for. And the, the, the 2, 12, 22, I decided, was, was a, an easier number for me to remember. Mm -hmm. um, so every month I'll be posting three things. And yesterday I updated and put the piece about the Otoshi Buddha up there. The other great thing about that Kitchen Culture page is you can sign on, ask questions, leave comments. Mm. So we can have a conversation about it, and that wasn't possible before right. either. Um, well, you really are the expert. And well, I, I have a lot of experience that I want to share with people, mm -hmm. but what I found over the years is I also need to be responsive. I need people asking. I have lots of things, interesting things that I can share with people, but then I want people to respond, mm. and I want to be able to respond back to them. Right. And this website will allow me to do that. Um, also, like this podcast, I'm going to, I hope I can get the code right, uh, to get it back up later this afternoon. Um, so on the books and media page, I have a lot of the, I have all the podcasts that we've done, and also some of the uh, video things that I've done Great. Um, that are available uh, for people. Mm. So it's a, it's a constantly evolving, also about programs. If anybody's coming to Japan, by all means, right. sign up for a program. Um, so it's like a one uh, like the classroom setting. Right. So it's, uh, what I wanted the website to do is be inviting to people who were just curious and then hook them mm. to keep coming back. Right. And engage in conversation. Right. And uh, I think your information is very unique in the sense that, you know, you read user's mind because that's the problem you went through right. and you conquered. So I, I, learned, <laughs> I learned along the way um, and um, many years, lots of experience. And I'm very eager to share it with, with everyone. It's great. So the website's okay. address is tasteofculture.com www.tasteofculture.com Great. Well, you must be Thank feeling you. really like 
achievement. <laughs> I <laughs> am. It's a hard, it's I a am. lot of work. I, I really am. And for a short while last year, I got um, locked out of Facebook, and it was really very difficult because there was no platform for me to be able to communicate with people. Back on plat- uh, pl- back on Facebook again, too. Even if you didn't do anything, Facebook decided no, to. just for whatever. <laughs> um, glad to be back. And um, I see both the website and um, social media as sort of complementing each other. So mm. one doesn't replace the other. They sort of complement each other. And I've just started Twitter, don't really get it. So if people want to educate me about the best way to use Twitter, that's okay too. Mr. Trump, you will be the teacher. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> Not that way. Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, yeah, hopefully... Uh, You're going to come back sometime yes. again this year? And not, not sure exactly when. Um, the Olympics are coming to Japan in right. the summer mm. and haven't made a final decision yet about what to do about programs mm. that would be feasible and inviting to visitors who will be coming to Japan. Right. Um, so I'll have to work around that. Once I have that sort of set, mm. I'll know what my schedule is Well, I'm be. sure that you know, if you go to Japan, why not? Just, just learn about Japanese food from cooking side as well. So. There are lots of people who come to Japan and uh, food is a way, and I'm delighted, food is a way of getting into the culture and exploring. Right. So. Exactly. So. Good. All right. Thank you. So thank you again for joining me. And uh, So listeners, if you have any questions or comments about the show or suggestions for guests, uh, show guests, or topics of the show, please contact us at japaneats at the heritage video network.org uh, or kikokatayama.com. And Japanese is live at 3 p.m. on Mondays and always available at heritage video network.org, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify as a podcast. Uh, engineer is Matt Patterson, and thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Japan Needs is powered by Simplecast. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thank you for listening.